This is episode 26 of the No Limits Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We're glad that you're here. The podcast is brought to you by Tangle Free Waterfall. You work hard all year, anticipating the small window of time you get to spend in the blind. How disappointing is it then to get to that moment only to have your gear fail? You should never tolerate gear failure. We talk about that on today's podcast. Tangle Free delivers gear that functions exactly as it's designed to every time, year after year after year. I've always said don't waste your hard-earned time and money on gear that only lasts a year or two. Head over to TangleFree.com for panel blinds, layout blinds, decoys, and accessories. And because you are a valuable No Limits subscriber, you'll get free shipping on your entire order. Just enter promo code PASSION at checkout. Think about how much you'll save on bulky, expensive-to-ship items like blinds and decoys. TangleFree.com, promo PASSION at checkout for free shipping. Is your coffee hunter-friendly? Do you really know where your coffee comes from? Who are you really paying to get it here? And what are the political ideologies and agendas of the buyers and middlemen? What if I told you there's a coffee producer that buys directly from the farmer, cuts out the anti-Second Amendment, anti-hunting middlemen, supports the U.S. Sportsman's Alliance, and has a great-tasting, full-body, delicious coffee? Hunter's Blend Coffee is that company. We had Paul and Mike on the podcast explaining their revolutionary approach to their direct trade model and the impact it's made on the poor farming communities. I want to invite you to go back and listen to episode 16 of the podcast. It was an amazing discussion. This new purchasing model has put money back into farming communities, helped open churches, made healthcare available, and has absolutely changed lives, not to mention helped fight terrible anti-hunting and anti-Second Amendment legislation where we need it the most, in the courtroom. Head over to huntersblendcoffee.com and use promo code NOLIMITS, all one word, at checkoff and get a checkoff, a checkout, and get 10% off your order. Look, you're going to buy coffee. Why not have it delivered from a company that has your hunting and Second Amendment rights in mind and supports your right to hunt and save 10% in the process? Win, win, win. It's great coffee, a great mission, Hunter's Blend Coffee. The podcast is also brought to you by Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. The Revelation Outdoors mission is to help spread the gospel of Christ through waterfowl hunting. We leverage several different mediums or delivery methods to do that, either through our social media pages and our Passion of Pursuit short film series that is produced by Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry and Motion Culture Media. Our favorite way to share the way we experience Jesus in waterfowling is through live presentations. And those are either at men's events, wild game dinners, or other places where sportsmen and women gather. We have been invited to speak at events all over the country, and we absolutely love connecting with our fellow sportsmen and women and talking about how God has changed our lives, not through religion, but through a personal relationship with Christ. We are, we're not religious guys, and we stress that. We are guys just like the rest of you all, and we found that when we are able to break through a lot of the religious fog that surrounds us, we're able to show the simplicity found in God's plan of salvation. If you have an event coming up and you need a speaker, we'd love to talk to you. You can connect with us on social media 
or on our Revelation Outdoors website, revelationoutdoors.com. My guests today are Grant Wisenbaker and Brenton Washhausen, owners of Salt Plains Outfitters in northern Oklahoma. If you want to see more ducks and geese in one place at one time than you have probably ever seen in your life, check out Salt Plains Outfitters. I instantly fell in love with their social media pages. Their images and content are awesome. And they just have the game figured out in an area that is fast becoming what I call the new waterfowl mecca, and that's Oklahoma. Uh, Grant and Brenton fill us in on how they started Salt Plains Outfitters, what drew them to that particular area, all the different settings they have to hunt, the multiple different species that are available for you to hunt. Whether you like hunting in pit blinds or layout blinds, maybe you like hunting in the comfort of a of an A-frame blind, or maybe you like hiding in the decoys, like snow goose hunting, sitting in the white decoys, and having birds finish in your lap. They have it all. We talk about some of the different scenarios that may play out with all of this flooding and how that will affect crops and who's getting crops in the ground and who isn't and thus affect the fall migration. We talk about their new lodge and some of the plans they have for bringing everyone under one roof and enjoying the camaraderie and fellowship that only a first-class lodge and hunting experience can bring. We talk about how their faithfulness to God guided guided them through this whole nerve-wracking chaotic journey of starting a new business based on building relationships and how their Christ-centered focus will continue to be the guide uh, in everything they do. I really enjoyed having Grant and Britton on the podcast, and I think you'll enjoy it too. So please welcome my guests, Grant Wisenbaker and Brenton Weisheisen of Salt Plains Outfitters. Everybody can hear. Everybody's good. Plugged in. Absolutely. Technology is amazing. <laughs> hey man, I'm glad. I'm glad that we can. Uh, we can. This happened like really quick, but I'm. I'm glad that we were able to jump on and welcome to the big podcast. Absolutely. You thank you, us, for, man. Yeah, thank you so, for having us. Yeah, man. So, so both of you guys are in real estate, correct? That's right. Yep. Yep. commercial both of you commercial or just so i'm more uh farm ground uh ag land uh hunting you know hunting property recreational property i will sell commercial but my main focus is is the land mm-hmm. the land side of it and then grant is more commercial right grant mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm down here in houston and we we do commercial land uh, we'll do some recreational properties as well um but yeah that's 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 what we do in the off season so um it sets up well to allow some free time during yeah. during hunting season, which is most important. Now, Brent, where where are you located? Where do you live? So I'm in Edmond, Oklahoma. Okay, um, so you're actually in OK. All right. Yeah. So I'm about two hours south from where we kind of our homestead is. So mm-hmm. it, it's not too bad, you know. Um, I make it up up there, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, talk with landowners, 
doing the duties, you know, the daily summer duties of leasing and, and oh, finding those the right duties. Proper when you're properties. talking about doing the duties, dude, I was wondering. Yep, yep. So <laughs> basically going in and, you know, finding properties, stuff potentially we've hunted in the past and, and stuff like that. So it makes it makes it easier on both of us, you know, being somewhat close to the area. Gotcha. Um, Gotcha. Now, when did you, uh, have you guys been like lifelong friends or where did you guys meet? Man, we actually, uh, funny story, just, you know, how funny how things work. We actually met through a mutual friend. Um, I moved from Houston and went to the University of Tulsa, went to college up there and made good friends with a buddy named Dylan Foxworth, who was friends with Brenton. And uh, Brenton was doing a hunting business and I was starting up Salt Plains and we kind of, met through hunting and through Dylan, um, and then kind of grew our relationship through college. And, um, I was going to have to make the move back down to Houston and knew I needed to, you know, find a guy to, to partner up with. And Brenton and I, we, we, we were doing some hunting together, um, and kind of just pitched the idea and said, Hey man, what would you think about teaming up? And, uh, yeah, now, now we hear our day and we're partners in a business and, Kind of funny, funny how things work. Yep. Yeah. When you look back, you know, when you're going through something like that, like I think, I think I want to do this, or I think it all seems like so chaotic. You're like, this is never going to work. Right. <laughs> and then you look back on it three or four or five years later and you're like, man, God was in that. And, you know, it's just, it's obvious, but it's so, it's so chaotic. Like when you, it's like being in a washing machine, man, when you're trying to, you know, you're keeping this ball up in the air and maybe we want to do this and we want to try. So yeah, I, I fit because Brian and I were like that when we started passion or pursuit and you're like, you know, well, what's it, what do we want to do? I don't know. Well, what's the goal? I don't, to make it look cool. Um, all right. That that's a pretty short business plan. Um, but then when you look back on it and you look at all the ways that God connected people and, and made things happen at just the right time. And it's just really cool. Were you guys always, uh, this is a question I asked just about everybody that comes on the show. Were you always duck hunters? Like as, as kids growing up, you know, I, uh, I grew up hunting, hunting ducks very young. Um, my dad, I think I was five or six years old going on my first duck hunt. And actually, you know, we've just been doing it ever since. So it's something, yeah, I grew up doing it. Um, love it, you know, found the love for it at a young age and, and knew I wanted to do it for a long period of time. So, you know, meeting Grant and being able to partner with him on this thing and teaming up, man, it's it's definitely been something special. Right. Now, Grant, did you grow up, uh, did you grow up duck hunting? Man, no, actually kind of a different story. I didn't I didn't start duck hunting until I was about 16. Um, buddy invited me on a hunt, and it was just kind of one of those deals that worked out. Um, you know, Texas, it's it's kind of hit or miss. You know, you have to be – it's 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 not the same as up north. Um, so you have more slow hunts than you do um, fast hunts. But, man, I was just very fortunate to uh, – we went to a place that's called Moody Ranch. It's in Anderson, Texas. Um, and hunted with a guy, Kirk Wickman, who trained, he still trains my dogs to this day. And, uh, man, I was hooked. You know, we went in there and I think we had six or seven guns and it was a bang up shoot and it just kind of went how you would hope it to be. Um, and man, ever since then, just kind of dove into it, got very interested in it and started researching and all that stuff and 
fast forward the clock 10 years and now we're you know running an operation and it's uh part of our livelihood so it's pretty cool how things work yeah you know what's funny is so most of the guys so anybody that's heard any of our podcasts it's it's primarily all duck hunters right um most of the guys that i have on did not hunt when they were young as a matter of fact their families didn't hunt either and i'm exactly the same um i grew up not duck hunting um father didn't grandfathers didn't you know we all kind of fished but you live in south louisiana you got to fish um but it's funny man most of the guys that i have on say man did you duck hunt your whole life nope nope <laughs> it's just it's weird man it's it's one of those things that um i think if i had been introduced to duck hunting when i was young because there were no youth clothes there wasn't youth camo and youth waiters and and everything i probably would have gave up on it because you're miserable especially when you're like a little kid you know you just stand there and watch everything and sometimes you know the the hunts back then um you'd have some good ones but for the most part uh it just it was you know kind of slow and you'd scratch out one or two man if i was a kid growing up then coming in i would have given it up man because it was just like no i'll go shoot squirrels or something forget a duck (laughs) i know and i think it's it sparks a new interest because i I grew up deer hunting and Mm -hmm. um and now it's 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 hard for me to sit in a deer stand so i think finding your own interest kind of on your own way you know not to say that you can't grow up and still have the same passion but um especially when you don't really know a lot about it you get super interested so so Grant, um, talk to me about what it was that made you want to start outfitting and kind of that what drew you to that area. Like when did the light bulb come on and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be an outfitter. Yeah, man. I, to be honest, you know, I think a big portion of was, was being in college, you know, not having a ton of funds and, you know, knowing that you have to have, you have to have a lot of, of equipment to be able to do it right. And, um, it just takes money, you know, so thinking of ways of, of how we can, you know, do it to the fullest, um, you know, the easiest way to do that was to start a business. So, um, coming from Houston and going to college in Oklahoma, we would, you know, we'd do a lot of hunting up there and come back and show the guys back in Houston. And they're just not used to seeing that type of hunting. Um, you know, it's, there's, you just can't go down in the, the Texas prairie and shoot 40 or 50 mallards and, them seeing that stuff. So kind of seeing their attraction and draw and my want to kind of grow in the sport um, really kind of sparked the interest of starting Salt Plains. And really it was just a way for us to pay for a hobby. Um, and I've always enjoyed people. Um, I enjoy, you know, sales and interaction and fellowship and, you know, to be able to kind of mix the two together um, and create a business to kind of pay for a hobby, but then also to create a platform to meet new people, man. It was a, it was a win-win. So we kind of went into it just off of love and passion. And man, to this day, you know, I think we still have that same feeling. So, you know, we hope to never lose that. Um, and I think it showed with our business, you know, we try to get guys in and we want them to come back every year. Um, so it's, it's, it's a unique opportunity to, to be able to work. It, it never really feels like work. Um, you know, when you're doing something you love. Um, so very fortunate and blessed for the opportunity. 
I feel like maybe it's just over the last five to ten years, but Oklahoma is just one of those places, like, and especially where you are. Uh, I, I just I remember, you know, twenty years ago, not hearing that much about Oklahoma. Twenty years ago, it was Stuttgart, 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 uh, and now. I feel like Oklahoma and southern Kansas and up into the Flint Hills in, in Kansas, like in Emporia where my buddy Travis Sipe is, it's just, man, that area is on fire, dude, with ducks and geese. Man, it is. Uh, and, you know, what I've noticed, you know, I grew up in northeast Oklahoma. Um, good hunting, don't get me wrong. But I can always remember growing up and going out, you know, to western Oklahoma. Dad and I and his buddies, we would go to Call Lake there in Ponca City. Um, they used to flood the flood the lake and plant millet all over the north end. And it would attract people from all over the United States. I remember seeing guys from Iowa and, and all those, you know, northern states, Nebraska and whatnot. And, you know, I think it's, you know, the amount of food is what it boils down to. If you look on a on a map basis you can just see you know where that central flyway is and you know you look up there's corn there's milo there's beans so those birds you know they have all the food that they need to survive and all the water so uh, you know i think i think western oklahoma has definitely opened up some eyes you know over the last 10 to 15 years well i'm just saying like especially from just like just take the dry the dry mallard from the dry fields hunting for mallards um, I just, I don't remember hearing that much about it. And now, uh, now I had the guys on from Falco, great guys, great operation. Um, they kind of said the same thing, you know, they were just wandered out there from Arkansas wanting to see what it was all about. And they were like, man, and then they went back again and then they went back again. Like, okay, this, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't an accident. This place is magic. And I know, I, I know from growing up here in South Louisiana, hunting the the marshes like below New Orleans in between the Mississippi River and the Atchafalaya River, it was it was always good. Uh, but we have lost, you know, our wetlands are just dissolving beneath our feet down here. We lose a football field, on average, a football field size of land in our marsh every 24 hours. And wow. so What's the cause of yeah, that? Just coastal erosion. Um, the the early land exploration for oil and gas uh they would cut you know cut channels from new orleans down to the gulf so crew boats can get in and out then you start introducing salt water to where fresh water used to be um you start losing land you, you start losing grass and the grass root systems um and what was what was ground that you could walk on 20 years ago it's gulf of mexico now I mean, I got, I, I've got duck blinds where we'd pull the boats into that were, you know, small ponds. It's Gulf of Mexico now, and you can fish speckle trout there right now. Wow. And uh, so it's gotten to where the marshes where we used to hunt. In southern Louisiana, if you're not hunting the, the Mississippi River or going over towards the Atchafalaya West and then eventually the southwestern part of the state where there's a lot of you know, rice fields, it's controlled fresh water and that sort of thing. It's just, it has shifted the, you know, the, the geography itself has shifted the flyways. And so now, like when we go to Kansas, 
Or we could drive through Oklahoma and you see cattle ponds where you can't fit another mallard on it. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and and Arkansas isn't what it used to be, what I remember it being when I was growing up. And I think a lot of those birds maybe just have jumped the flyway and or moved from Mississippi flyway to the central flyway. Something has changed, uh, but I don't remember hearing that much about Oklahoma. And now it's just a... It's a it's just a gem now. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's definitely was a diamond in the rough for a long time, and it's not necessarily the case anymore. Um, I think equipment too has has played a big factor in that. Um, all the evolution of new equipment and making it more accessible to hunt these birds in dry field type conditions, um, you know, that's been a huge factor in it. And then two, you know, social media has really opened a lot of eyes that we're closed for a long time. Um, right. You know, and it's, there's no kept secret anymore. Yeah. Maybe that's it. You know, uh, there wasn't, I'm going to date myself, but there weren't cell phones. There weren't, uh, so there certainly wasn't social media. Uh, there wasn't Facebook or Instagram or all these other ones. Um, so y- your world was, my world of duck hunting was a lot smaller back yeah. in the the eighties, you know, in early nineties, I'm probably, you guys probably weren't even born then, but, um, I really just dated myself now, but there wasn't, you, you didn't have access, you didn't have instant access to worlds of information in that little box that you're holding your hand every day. And so maybe it was just always good and just no one really knew about it because information didn't travel then like it traveled now. I think, I think it's a mixture of both. Um, but it's, I mean, I feel like we've seen, you know, stronger bird numbers as years progress. And, and water mm-hmm. plays a big factor in that, too. Mm. Um, two or three years ago, we were in a drought this past couple of years. It's, it's been, um, we've had more water, and that, that's, that's a big factor. Um, and then you look at the Mississippi Flyway, for instance. There's such big refuge water that can't be touched. And then you look at the Central yeah. Flyway. There's not necessarily the the refuge acres that there is in that flyway, so a lot of birds tuck into those untouchable areas mm-hmm. um, to where in the central flyway it's a little bit different scenario. You know, they're, they're very accessible. Um, so you know, we we there. I mean, we have like the Salt Plains Refuge that's there that's close to us, and some other bodies of water, but nothing compared to what you have, and that's. Right. What's interesting, you see the cattle ponds and those types of body of waters that kind of serve as refuges in themselves. You know, I'm I'm glad that you said that because one of the things we have more refuges now, and, and I think just land access and general you know public use access is falling off greatly. Uh, we have more more refuges now that. And I can take you to a handful of them between my house and an hour and a half to the marsh where we used to hunt that the birds figure out where they can go and not be pressured. And then next year they'll bring a couple of hundred friends with them. And then those couple of hundred friends next year will bring a couple of hundred friends with them. And the next thing you know, the only place that's holding birds are refuges that you can't hunt. And look, I'm not, I, I think our, National Wildlife Refuge System is one of the greatest victories this country will ever have. Um, I was, I'm not a fan of Theodore Roosevelt's politics, but I am a fan of his conservation mindset. And I think that 
there are so many re- there's there's way too many refuges now that are not hunted that I'm not against the refuge system but hey how about we rotate them and you can you know hunt one or two of them and then give it a rest for a year or two or, or so and then and then there's areas within like I, I cut my teeth timber hunting in the Mississippi Delta in the Theodore Roosevelt complex and man when you talk about flooded timber it, that place is amazing the problem is you get a bunch of these antis that want to start making noise and they don't have to shut the refuge down they'll just they they will make enough noise to where they shut public access down the road yeah you can hunt it if you want to walk in six miles and uh, you know they're they are very very strategic about what they do and how they do it and our our refuge there in the theodore roosevelt complex went from you know 40 something thousand acres huntable acres to less than a quarter of that and it's just you know you got so many refuges that don't get hunted Uh, i just i I think that's now I, i don't think there's that many in the central flyway but i know the mississippi flyway you can walk from refuge to refuge so that i think has changed hunting as well i don't know what it's done for the migration but i think it's definitely changed uh how we hunted i don't want to get off topic though because i can get that's a whole nother <laughs> that's like a whole nother podcast dude um <laughs> when did brenton when did you come aboard salt plains because grant you started it a little while before brenton came on board is that right yeah a few years prior yeah okay. we just kind of a small pop-up shop getting started yeah so i came in uh 2017 so grant had been running it for a couple of years and i was actually in school playing ball and I, I finished up in 2017 so grant and i partnered that fall um you know so we've hunted 2017 18 and 19 coming up 19 together so right right <clears throat> what uh what gap did you and either one of you guys can answer this but um what because I, I think you got and we'll talk about kind of your roles there in a second but what gap brenton did you fill or grant you can answer what what gap did you fill in salt plains that really made your roles kind of complement each other yeah so uh you know grant he wanted he knew he was going to have to go back to houston and it was one of them deals where you know it'd be hard to, for him to run the operation living in Houston. So, um, brought me on board, kind of the day-to-day guy, head guide running the, the day-to-day activity with the hunts and all that stuff. And kind of an operations, mm -hmm, operations side. And then grants really kind of the backbone with the business side, the business planning, you know, um, the bookings and all that good stuff as well. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really made it a pretty awesome mix because, you know, we, it's you see a lot of guys that get wrapped up in their business and they're trying to do everything and man that's that's it's tough it's tough to grow a business it's tough to scale a business you know so being able to delegate tasks and kind of have two really kind of have three core areas of focus we have you know our guiding and hunting side Uh, we have our property and habitat development stuff that we're trying to really get started and rolling and then um 
and then the lodging side too, which we're, we're trying to implement, you know, so that's a lot of mm-hmm. moving parts and a lot of things to coordinate. Um, you know, so being able to break that up, man, it's, it's, it's been a great mix. Yeah. And I think, I think we're going to have to talk about the habitat solution investment in a completely different podcast because that's some of the topics that, uh, you know, the people that listen to this podcast really kind of go nuts over is tar- managing land for ducks. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think enough guys do it for deer hunting, you know, plant food plots or whatever, you know, we put one here and one there, but it's to the average guy, it's kind of a new ball game when it comes to attracting waterfowl. So I have to get you back on to talk about the, the land management and investment property side of it. Cause that's, that's super, super interesting to a lot of people. Absolutely. No, we were fortunate enough to, to team up with, with Shane, Olson and uh, man, he's a wealth of knowledge in that regard. So now we'll we'll have to hop back on, and that's a, that's a whole other couple hours in itself. So yeah. um. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. So you mentioned we were just talking about social media, uh, and I mentioned how much I like uh, you guys, your your content. Who, in addition to to Drew, talk about where some of that content comes from? You know, give a shout out to some of the guys who because. I love giving shout outs to really super talented, creative people. So absolutely, man. Uh, you know, we've, we've just, we've always kind of tried to have the mentality, you know, to where we don't want to outstretch our bounds, but you know, if we can invest in our business and, and bring in the right people, which that's really what makes it. Um, so we've kind of, we've, we've built some relationships with some really awesome guys. Uh, Drew Seals, he came in and he's, he put together a video for us, which was really awesome. And then Aaron Davis, he's helped us a lot with, with photos and getting us connected with brands. And, um, and then Mark, who Brent, that's, you know, Brenton and yeah. Mark are our best yeah, buddies. Yeah. So and- Mark, um, Mark's a good buddy of mine. We've, we've known each other for heck, it's probably been six, seven years now. Um, I actually met him through a mutual friend who played college ball with him and we've kind of hunted here and there together. And then whenever I was in, in college, my junior year here in Edmond, uh, we were doing, you know, some fun hunting and whatnot. And, and Mark got in the, you know, the camera, the, the picture taking side of things. And you look up three years later now, you know, he's kind of our, our main guy. He, he does all our photographs, majority of them. And he's really been, doing a doing a lot for us um you know the content he's putting out there is, has been pretty hey good let me let me ask you this so did you find that he got weird after he picked the camera up you know he he's still <laughs> he's you know, always I know been some weird people, some people do <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know he he still has that hunt side you know of him to where it's not always in his hand he'll, he'll go hunt and and shoot the shoot the stuff with us and whatnot and and he still does photos but yeah you know i could definitely see you know there's definitely a side that's changed a little bit you know i think his competitive nature brings out a lot too with his content you know so he's really built up a lot over the last couple years and now he's to the point now to where his quality is getting you know top notch um up there with with everyone else oh yeah it's it's uh at mark how do you pronounce his last name meters meters Matters M E A D O R S underscore on uh, Instagram. The reason I asked that is because you know when Brian picked up a camera, Brian Dryden, our 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 DP, and 
everything creative for passion and pursuit. Um, he was like cowboy boots and <laughs> jeans and, you know, pure, pure country. Right. Right. And then he's, <laughs> and then he's going to kill me when he listens to this, but then he got into being super creative and started wearing skinny jeans and, you know, flat brill hats. And then I, you know, he went from hick to hickster instead of hipster. Um, and I just, it's just so funny to me to see. Now I've picked up a great appreciation for how people see things with a camera that I, I never would have picked up before, but dude, I ain't wearing no skinny jeans. Um, <laughs> And it's just funny, man. I just, it, you know, it's just, I think it's funny sometimes. And Drew Seals is the same way, <laughs> the same way. And I'm like, man, maybe it's something when you pick up a camera and you start getting like all artsy fartsy creative that you just, you change. I don't know, man. So that's why I had to ask that. <laughs> Brings out the fem feminine side. I don't, man, I don't know what, I mean, he, we, you know, he's still on the Copenhagen, so that's fine. Um, yeah. yeah, he didn't give that up. That's when I'd start to worry about him. Yeah, but yeah. those uh, your page, those guys are just super, super talented. Um, and if you if you listen to this podcast and you haven't checked out Salt Plains Outfitters uh, or Mark Matters or Drew Seals with Nature's Eye, you guys are really missing some talented, talented guys. Um, you guys run a lot of Sitka, a lot of yeah, Sitka we do. Gear. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's uh, it, it's good stuff. And, and oh and man, we've they've been nice enough to partner with us and um, you know, give us some discounts on gear. And man, it's when you're hunting up there, it's it is it's cold. It's, Dude, it's brutal conditions. It's windy. no kidding. Yeah, so it's good gear. You know, and that's one of the things we try to tell the clients too before they come is and pack accordingly. Right. Um, you can always take some clothes off. You can't, you know, but if you don't have them, um, you know, you're going to be regretting it. So sick is, it's a, it's a great product. Um, we use it every day and man, it's it last and, um, good stuff. I, I said, um, about hunting in Kansas when it was, I don't know, 12 degrees, there is nothing to break that north wind between you and Canada except three strings of barbed wire. <laughs> uh, and dude, I just, the first year we went was before we were uh, partnered with Sitka. We were a content creator for Sitka now. But the first time we went up there, we weren't. And to, I just, I can't explain how cold I was. I just, I can't now. I'm, you know, Navy veteran, I've been cold. I've been really cold, but I ain't been cold like that. And it's just that, that, that gear is people, they kind of poke fun on you, different memes and things on Instagram or whatever about, you know, Sitka guys being uppity. Well, they might be uppity, but they're warm too, Hoss. Mm -hmm. Don't, <laughs> no, don't ever. True. Matter of fact, Matt Robertson, who's one of our field pastors in Arkansas, coined the term, when, cause he, he has a ministry where he gets guys up there and the dude is ADD about two things, speckle belly geese and Jesus. That's the only two things that exist for him. And so he, he'll have guys up there, you know, that want to hunt specs cause he's got his thumb on them. 
And they say, well, what do I have to bring? He said, you need to bring a good attitude and sick of gear. That's all you need. <laughs> a good attitude and sick of gear. So when your guys sign up to come on hunts or, you know, you get clients up there, what, what can they experience as far as, as birds, mix of birds? What would you guys find you shoot mostly? I mean, I know there's a lot of mixed bags, but just kind of, if you had a chance to tell a lot of people about what they can experience when they come. Yeah, man. Uh, I'd say 90, 90, 95% of the birds we kill are mallards, pintail and whitten. Um, basically uh, we'll shoot a couple teal here and there shoot a couple gadwall here and there but when they come out and hunt with us we're either going to be killing cacklers in a, in a dry field or over some water maybe some mm-hmm. speckle bellies but you know the majority of the birds we're killing are all greenheads greenheads widgeon and pintails what about uh what about white geese you know we hunt them we kill them uh, you know this year is definitely a tough year on us for them uh, mm. you know a lot of a lot of mature birds to shoot at, you know, so we really oh, got a good man. taste, a good taste Tell of what, you know, reality really is when you hunt those white geese. So mm-hmm. they aren't easy, but you know, it just makes it that much better when you do, when you do get into them. No, man, that's what I was, I, we went to, we filmed in Canada last year. It was, uh, oh, it was Halloween. We were up there for Halloween and you know, you go, you, you make that drive. So we had a 18 foot decoy trailer packed with, I don't know, 60, 70 dozen tangle-free full-body white geese, right? And the whole way up there, you're anticipating young, dumb, stupid birds, <laughs> right? That's just, that's why right. you go there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's why you do it. And, dude, there wasn't a juvenile anywhere. It was the toughest hunting I have ever had. I mean, we were we were in a chickpea field. We had a roost pond down below us with, I, I, I can't even had to be darn near a million snow geese in it, you know, a couple hundred thousand mallards. And they would get up out of that water, make a couple of passes through the chickpea field. You break a few of them off and kill them. And then they would go sit the rest of the day and they would come out again right before dark. And I mean, good thing you could shoot 30 minutes later than you can in the States because that's when they came out. But there was no, I mean, there was just no juveniles. And I had John Devney from Delta Waterfowl on two podcasts ago. And I told him, we went to, he said, I bet you shot a bunch of, uh, a bunch of old birds. There weren't a bunch of juveniles, huh? I'm like, yeah, there wasn't. (laughs) And the snow goose hatch was way down from last year. I said, well, you ain't got to tell Noah about a flood. I saw it for myself with my own two eyes. And it was some (laughs) of the, tough man you got to be dedicated you do man i mean we you know two years previous two years ago um you know we got into the the whites fairly often and we came back you know with the same mentality and this year we didn't really know what was going on you know we knew we were hunting some mature birds but we didn't really have that didn't really get the taste of what Mm -hmm. we got this year man when you are hunting those mature birds it, it is hard um you know, you can put out 200 dozen decoys, you know, it's, it, yeah. It's and they're going to land in the right, field you know, next to you. <laughs> it is. And you can be watching them feed in a field for two or three days, you know, and they're smart. You know, I've got a lot of respect for them. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so the ag up there, is it a lot of, a lot of corn, a lot of beans? What, what type of ag fields are you guys hunting up there? Yeah. I mean, I would, it's, it's a mix. Um, 
our area, it's it's a lot of Milo. Um, some you know some cut corn. We don't have as as much cut corn as east of I thirty five, and then some beans as well. So uh, really, I mean, I would say our bread and butter on the on the ducks is the Milo, mm-hmm. and then bread bread and butter on the on the geese. Majority of the time is in the wheat. Uh, we have we have a lot of success on the geese early season, and then a lot of our guys come from the south, so so we really try to hone in on the mallards in the um, in later in the season in late December, January, and uh, it's 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 hard to beat a cut mallard field. Yeah, it it definitely is. So speaking of corn, all the high water we have all over the place. That's one of the things I'm super interested in. Is I wonder how. Are, are are you having a lot of farmers that can get their get their stuff in the ground, or what's the status on that? Yeah, a lot of guys have they they've been late. Um, and what's interesting is the supply is 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 definitely down, so that's going to be you know a topic in itself. But they're they're, they're still going to try to get it in the ground, um, mm-hmm. which which could create a late harvest. Um, which for us is, you know, as duck hunters is, is not a bad thing because, you know, you, you do get the, you know, a lot of times the best fields come when they're, when they're harvested in, in November. Um, but a lot mm-hmm. of guys will harvest their stuff in October. Um, so I think there's going to be some give and take there, but there's definitely not as, as much this season as there has been in years past just because it hasn't quit raining. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that's one of the things I was talking to Dustin Roddy over at Cash River Farms, uh, and he does he does a lot of land management, um, a lot of consulting, and it's like every other third day it just rains again. I mean, he can't get water off of his green tree impoundments to even think about planting Milo or Jap Millet or, you know, he does a lot of moist soil management, so Sprangletop, WRP, and stuff like that. He, he can't even get in there to get that stuff going. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I know that Iowa, South Dakota is super, super wet. A lot of those guys have gotten no corn into the ground because uh, they just, they can't get machineries. They can't get machinery in there to plant. You know, the you, you need an auger to plant corn. You can't get it in there. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when the weather starts turning and a lot of the birds that used to just kind of wait it out because they can get to all the waste grain on the field. I don't think there's going to be that much in a lot of places. So we, we may see some type of crazy type of migration this year. It, it's going to be interesting to see what happens for sure. Cause I don't know if anybody says they know they're full of crap because <laughs> yeah, it is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, is if they aren't putting any any corn in the in the ground, then it's either they're going to be staying up north as long as they can above them, or you know they'll probably bypass. So I'm anxious yeah, and, to see. Uh, you know, yeah, Brenton, I thought the same thing. I was talking to John Devin, and he said uh, the thing about I brought that very thing up to him, and he said the thing about it is is Saskatchewan, so the the PPR the Prairie Pothole region is bone dry, so where they're they just did their flyover count when i talked to them they haven't gotten their numbers in yet uh but he said that there's very little nesting habitat in saskatchewan now in 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 southern north dakota and in south dakota it's super wet so they're gonna have you know banner hatches there uh 
And but that combined with yeah, they're going to have banner hatches because it's so wet, but there's not going to be any feed anywhere. So we may see some type of super early migration, and they're not even starting as far north as they had been. So there's so many different. This year is going to be really goofy, really funny. And, uh, you know, so they're starting further south, but there's not nearly the ag there that there normally is this time of year. There's nothing in the ground. I think when you get down into Iowa and southern Iowa, uh, Missouri's still got a lot of water on it. Um, Kansas still had a lot of water on it from the Arkansas River coming out of its banks. And it's just going to be... I think you're going to have a lot of birds in areas that you've never really had them in before. And I think that the migration is going to start a lot more south than it had before, just because Saskatchewan is dry. And uh, who knows what the weather, nobody ever knows what the damn weatherman doesn't even know what the weather's going to do. So it's just, it's going to be a, it's going to be a weird thing. Weird thing to see when you guys do hunt them. Are you hunting a lot of layout blinds or panel blinds or or pits? Or I know you guys do hunt some pits, but uh, any sloughs or any kind of timber or anything that you guys hunt? Yeah, it's 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 a wide variety, um, and that's that's kind of what's what's so cool about the area, and really what was a was a draw to us kind of before we even started hunting it from a business perspective is, you know, one one day you might be in a milo field in an afternoon shooting mallards. Um, you know, the next day you can be on a cattle tank that's half an acre big. Um, and then now with, with some of the property improvements, um, kind of trying to bring some, some new stuff into Oklahoma is, you know, flooded ag, you know, flooded beans, flooded corn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rivers when it gets super cold. Yeah. Um, we've had some phenomenal river hunts. Oh, Honestly, man. that's, that is my <laughs> favorite type yes. of hunting. You know, two years ago we had a, we had a stretch. We were on the Arkansas River. Um, big Arkansas and man for when everything else is frozen you mean oh everything was frozen oh god I mean there was 20 (laughs) to 30 thousand mallards rafted on the sandbar that stretched about half a mile long and it was just unbelievable the the funnest experience that man I've ever had in my hunting career so Oklahoma and southern Kansas it really presents some some unique hunting opportunities but I'd say Brent I mean would you agree day in day out we're we're hunting them in I mean 80% 80% of the time, 70% of the time in the fields. Yeah, yeah. And that's like like Grant was saying, bread and butter, I, I think, are Milo, you know, or, or cut grain fields. Uh, it's just, you know, late season mallards, they, they want to sit on water, you know, all day and, mm-hmm. and feed once a day. So, you know, in order to go get them, if you aren't hunting them on water, you got to shoot them in the field. And, you know, those late afternoon evening shoots are something that, I mean, it's – it's unbelievable. It's it's fun. We have customers coming in every year wanting to you know go to the Milo field again. So it's definitely it's fun for sure. Now, do you guys use a lot of layout blinds when you do that? You know, we we change it up. You know, sometimes we'll hunt out of the white socks um, mm-hmm. if there's some snow geese in the area. Even if they're in, sometimes we'll even still go in there if we don't have a good hide and hunt out of the socks. Um, we, we started hunting at A-frames quite a bit last year as well. So we do definitely do a, a different variety of, yep. of hunting. Uh, we hunt out of, of layouts as well. So A-frames, layouts, out of the whites, you name it. Uh, just different techniques and different ways, you know, with, with weather and winds. And sometimes, you know, winds right. aren't in the right area. So we've got to 
use A-frames, for instance, or, you know, if we got a good mm-hmm. wind day, we can hide right in the dead center out of the socks. Yeah. So yeah. There, there's definitely a variety. Have you, um, I, I love the, the layout blinds, um, because they're so versatile. If the wind changes up on you, mm-hmm. if they don't finish the way you kind of envision them finishing mm-hmm. when you set up, maybe they're swinging kind of far to the left and doing a hook, or maybe you can be so mobile, um, and change it up so fast. Have you guys started using, have you ever used the, uh, the tangle free, the panel blinds instead of the A-frames? You know, we haven't. Uh, oh, my gosh. We tested dude. them out. Uh, a buddy of mine brought some up two years ago, and we, I've hunted out of them one time. And then, I mean, I, we had a great hunt. The high was great. And um, we just really never, we went with A-frames last year and, mm-hmm. and haven't really thought about the panels. But, you know, I've always heard good things about them, and they're definitely a good product to, to hunt over. For I can't sure. get off of them, man. They're great, dude. Especially when you got the flip tops on them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And if you've got a really cold, windy day, it's amazing how much wind those things stop. Oh, Uh, but I mean, a frame do the same thing. But the thing I like about those panel blinds is if you you need a small hide, you don't have to Mm -hmm. use the whole thing. Mm -hmm. the The best thing is is when you get guys out there that don't quite know how to set the A-frames up and know how the frame goes together, because they'll look yeah. like a monkey doing a math problem in the dark, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Those things just, I mean, you get one guy on one end and one guy on another and just tell them to walk the opposite way, and it's set up. And yeah. so I've always thought guys that are running outfitters or outfitters that are, you know, because the, the the customers have to get in on setting decoys up and setting the blind. You can't just, they can't just sit in the truck, drink coffee and wait for it to be all set up. Uh, those panel blinds are so convenient because they're they're You can control the size and with the A-frame, it's either all the way up or it's all the way down. The panel blinds, you can use half of it. You can use all of it. You can connect them together. You can connect the A-frames together too. But the best thing is the guys that, will sit there with their hands in their pocket. Uh, you can throw some panel, some panel blinds at them and tell them here, go set these up over there. And you know, within five minutes they got it figured out. And I just, I love them. I, I, of course we're a big tangle free shop. So we, you know, everything that they make, we run. Absolutely. We, we are as well. They make a, they make an awesome product. We've really fallen in love with all their stuff, their bags, uh, all their, all their blinds and bags, their layouts. i we bought um, a dozen other layouts five years ago, and man, they're they've held up and they held strong. They, yeah, they they got some awesome awesome stuff, and they I keep think coming out with new product too, which is cool. Yeah did, did you see um, did you see the new silhouettes they just came out with? I did, I did. Whoa. We're we're definitely going to get on some of those. Whoa, um, <laughs> they look great and. Um, Man, we, we run a lot of silhouettes too. It's it's super effective and you can set out a big spread in such a short amount of time. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, especially goose hunting day in and day out, you know, how can we be the most efficient but still, you know, be effective when killing them? And man, with, with the advancements and all this technology, it's 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 just unbelievable. Yeah, and I've found if you have equipment that customers can put out on their own that doesn't take a lot of instruction and things that uh, make it easy for the customer to get in on the experience and they don't need, you know, 
a, a field manual to have to know how to put it together or to deploy it. I mean, you can hand them an armful of silhouettes and say, here, put these about two to three feet apart, you know, over there. And at least they can get pretty close. Uh, that's, and the thing about, I think just everything Tangle Free makes is you can tell waterfowlers built it. Yes. It's just so well thought out. Absolutely. What other types of, so guys are coming in, you've got the lodge there now. We're going to talk about the new lodge in a minute, Uh, but just meals and and that sort of thing. How do you, how do you guys run that? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of evolving. So, you know, with us, you know, being young and growing, man, we, we started from, from year run, year one running out of a, and we had the, the clients in the guide house with us. Um, this is a three bedroom, one bathroom house that was built in 1920. Um, and, you know, it was us and a couple of the guides and the clients would come in there with us. So um, that's so I, fun to look back <laughs> on that, though, dude. Man, it really is. I mean, some of the best <laughs> memories we have was when we were doing that. So, um, you know, and, and as the years have progressed, we've tried to, you know, really enhance the, the experience, not only just the hunting. Um, so yeah, we're, we're in the process of building a new lodge. Um, this is our first time building stuff. So it's, it's, uh, we're, we're really pressing. Um, you know, it, it, it's, we're hoping to be finished by this season. Um, it's, it's going to be close, but, um, we really are trying to, um, evolve into being able to provide like a full service type package to where, you know, not only are you going to get great, um, hunting and guiding and, and that type of experience, but really try to create a platform for fellowship, good meals, um, you know, nice bedding and all that stuff. And just that's, that's half of the experience, if not more. Um, I agree. Is coming in and, and hanging totally out at agree. a good camp, you know, good vibes, good food. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be the, the craziest place in the world. We're going to do a, a Barnuminium style structure. It's going to mm-hmm. be big. It's going to be open, but you know, nothing super fancy, but, you know, just try to create a good environment um, to when you come back after the hunt, man, you're looking, you're looking forward to that. Um, and yeah. that's where the friendships and the memories are, are really made. Yeah. One of my favorite pictures on your Instagram page is the picture of you guys sitting around the fire pit and yeah. the caption that you wrote with that. I love that picture that, that I think that tells the story a hundred percent what it's all um, about man it's yeah. what it's all about and then you mentioned the fellowship talk about talk about your faith uh if you will and kind of what what did that what did that look like as you kind of got started and you grew and you're looking at growing again and you're growing more and more money more investment more time um what what does your what 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 did your faith look like through that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's God has been with us one hundred percent of the way, and you know, it's it's just kind of like what we were talking about, kind of how Brenton and I got together and met, and then it's like now you look back and you see all these things, and it's like, man, is is that a coincidence or was God's hand in that? And one hundred percent, God's hand has been in it, and you know, we've just tried to be faithful and put our trust in Him and really, you know, pray and pray specifically. And, and that's not to grow, but just to present opportunities to, to be able to grow with people. Yeah. And, you know, that's 
that's that's really where it is for us. And now kind of growing and moving forward, being able to create a structure um, that in turn is going to create great fellowship and a great platform um, to really kind of spread the light of Christ. And hopefully people come in and they see the way that we carry ourselves and act and, and want to have, you know, more than just a surface level relationship. Um, and that's, you know, it's like God calls us all to be pastors. Well, what does that really mean? I, I think it means, you know, it's different for every person. You know, some people mm-hmm. are good at, at preaching, but that doesn't mean you have to get up on a, a podium every day and, no. and preach to be an effective Christian. You know, some of us are you know, good accountants and um, good counselors and good coordinators. And, you know, for us, we feel like, you know, we, our, our talents and skills are, is building and in building something, but trying to build something to do more than just make a dollar or shoot a duck. Right. Um, and that's, you know, create a place where we can share the word of Jesus Christ and, you know, hopefully save some people while we're doing it and make some great friends. That's so good, man. It, it I don't think, I don't think there's any, sport that allows itself as a more effective ministry than waterfowling. I mean, you can look, certainly when you're in nature, you are surrounded by creation. I mean, Romans one twenty says you'll, you'll know him by the things that he created. Mm-hmm. And you certainly experience that when you're in a deer stand, I certainly experienced that when I'm on a polling platform, polling down on a big school of tail and redfish. Um, I, I know where that came from, but there's something about waterfowling because it is a very, um, communal sport and it just, there's downtime enough to reflect and talk. And, and, you know, I think one of our, I think our second, episode that we ever filmed we filmed with heat with heath whitmore in arkansas and he said you know there's just there's a lot of things that come out in a guy's life when you're duck hunting when it's kind of slow and you get to just sit and chat and know the guy next to you um you know god built us as relational human beings he didn't build us to be alone Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of things that come out in a guy's life when it's when it's slow that won't necessarily come out when it's fast and furious. But that's the great thing about the lodge that you're building the space for fellowship, just to come and and decompress. And man, I've had some of the best, some of the best Bible studies and conversations in duck camps when guys are just, and I don't know how they're wired. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, the funny thing was, you know, I wasn't saved until I was in my forties and, you know, it was, if you've ever seen the Blood Origins episode that Drew filmed, I kind of tell the whole nasty story of what I was before. But it was it was chasing ducks and green timber that opened my eyes. And it's funny, the thing, before I started Revelation Outdoors, the thing that I was terrified of is public speaking. Mm-hmm. And now I have spoken in front of groups of 3,000, 3,500 men. Uh, and if we're the body of Christ, dude, now I'm the mouth. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. And it's, there's something about duck hunting, waterfowl hunting that just allows those conversations to flow so naturally. And I'm so glad that you're building a space 
with that in mind, uh, not only during season, but I'm sure you're going to be able to to open that place up and and offer different services off season too. I mean, just for retreats and men's retreats and gatherings and that sort of thing too, right? Absolutely. No, it's that's yeah, absolutely, and and that's the thing. It, you know, it just creates a, a common ground, you know, and especially for non-believers or maybe you know younger christians in their walk you know it's sometimes you get the feeling when you walk into church you know it shouldn't feel this way but you know it's kind of a little standoffish at least from mm. that person's perspective mm-hmm. you know and then you get them in a duck blind and you have an instant common interest and it kind of breaks down those barriers um yeah. and then which in turn leads to you know awesome conversation so um Absolutely. That's the, that's the way it happened for Drew. Did you did did you hear his story about in Canada this year? Yeah, and he's talked about it a little bit. Yep. Oh man, that was crazy. I mean, and I never really nobody ever really witnessed to Drew or just kind of you know hit him in the head with a Bible or anything. But it was the last night before the last day, and like I said, it had been hard hunting, dude. I mean, you're hunting big, big bodies of mature snows. Need I say any more? Um, <laughs> but my point in saying that is, you you never really know. You, you're always God calls us to be ambassadors, right? And there's no season for that. It's it's an all season affair. And what we didn't know is that Drew was watching that, and he would see us, you know, put our arms around each other and love each other and 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 pray together and and thank God for everything that he had given us. And that last night before the last, uh, the last hunt, we were kicking around ideas about, you know, maybe we can do this or maybe we can do that. And Matt, our field pastor in Arkansas said, man, I just want to remind y'all the one thing is that whatever happens, we are here to show how God has impacted our lives and how we can thank him and glorify him for everything that he's given us, even though it may not have been what we anticipated or what we planned on or what we thought. It's exactly what we needed. And I just want to remind you all of that. And, dude, at that moment I looked over at Drew and he was crying. I mean, tears were falling down his face. Yeah. And 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 I, I'm sure if you've talked to Drew, he's he's told you. I mean, there was he was going through some some you know, some tough times. He was, he was moving from Mississippi to Texas and starting a new job. And his, you know, his wife's trying to get her bearings. Like, what is this all going to look like? And it was stressful, man. Mm-hmm. And, um, I looked at Drew and he's crying. I looked at Matt. I'm like, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> and Matt's like, nothing, dude. I didn't say anything. And Drew just said, man, I just, I just want y'all to know what being around you guys have has meant to me this week. And if there's any way that I can get saved in a duck blind tomorrow, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if there's a certain thing that I have to say. I don't. And the funny thing is he's in a garage with like six other pastors. Like you ain't getting out of that garage <laughs> with that. <laughs> right. We, and I think Brian said, no, no dog. We ain't waiting until tomorrow. This is happening right now. And, uh-huh. uh, and Drew said, like, what do I have to do? And I'm like, well, do do you believe, right? Do you believe that Christ took your sins to the cross with him, paid for him, died, was put in the ground, and rose on the third day? 
and that because you believe that you'll rise with him. He said, I, I really do. And I said, well, that's it. And then we just, I still get goosebumps talking about it. Dude, it's crazy. I'm getting them. But we just, <laughs> we stood around him, you know, laid hands on him and, and prayed for him. And the dude has not been the same since. And yeah, it's not so because, cool. yeah, it's not because he's a religious guy or it's not because, oh, he stopped doing this and he started doing that. It's, he's the same dude he was. It's just his, the object of his faith is so much different now. And uh, it's all because guys were, and I, I mean, it's it's me. Had you seen me 15 years ago, there's no way we'd be having this podcast talking about this. I guarantee you. Mm. Um, but it's just because guys were walking faithfully and just doing what the book says. Yep. Yeah. If you can spark the question, why, you know, and then, yeah, you know, yeah. like, you know, you see so many people that try to force it, um, rather than just acting and leading by example. So, man, that's, that is an awesome story. Yeah. And I feel like places like yours, um, you know, salt plains being what it is and what it's going to be, uh, man, I just, I can't wait to see that. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do with that, that organization and the people that you have. And, um, you know, the people that are going to come through there, uh, but leave changed some kind of way. Cause you never know what seed you may be watering that somebody else planted three weeks ago. And now they're here at your lodge hearing guys just, you know, you don't have to be vulgar to be a man. You don't have mm-hmm. to see who can who can drink the most or or you know it's it's not a it's not a contest. You don't we have the perfect example of perfect masculinity in Christ and I think when people see that they're like man this is this is different than what they're telling me in church or maybe that is what they're telling me in church. I just ain't listen. <laughs> so it's um I just I can't wait to see what he's going to do for y'all, man. It's just it's so good, so good. What, um, man? We just hit an hour. I told you it goes by fast. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it does, man. When you're having fun, that's great. It goes fast. Yeah, yeah. Is there um is there something that we left out that you guys want to throw in there before we wrap up? Because I, I'm going to put. All of your contact information, I'm going to put your Instagram and Facebook and everything in the show notes on our website. Uh, but th- if there's anything that you want to throw out before we wrap up, uh, please do. Man, now I would just say to, to everybody, like, man, we would love to, you know, share, share a duck blind with you. And, um, you know, we, we want to create long lasting relationships and man, uh, it's, it's more than just hunting, you know, for us. And, and we want to take care of our people and take care of our clients and really grow a family there. So, um, we encourage, you know, new people to reach out and, and all that good stuff. And, um, and you just come get a taste. It's, uh, we're always at, we, we have a good time, we have a good time. And, and that's what matters most. When you, when you quit having fun, that's when you really got to ask some questions, but hmm. you haven't got there yet. Brenton, anything you want to add, bro? Man, uh, he, he summed it up pretty well. Um, you know, we, we love having new clients and new people in there, and, and uh, our main goal is to, to have those long-lasting relationships with our clients. Uh, you know, we want to call family. Uh, we treat everyone as if, you know, they're all equal. So uh, 
we love meeting new people we love you know relationships it's kind of what we're based on man and love networking and just meeting new people yeah so yeah. uh if you're ever interested anyone ever interested in, in coming to salt plains look us up online give us a call social media platforms on instagram and, and facebook as well so we'd love to have you out yeah I, we would love to connect because I, we come through there two or three times a year oh man and if well, let's you line it up if you need an old Louisiana coon ass Cajun that I I can promise you knows his way around a kitchen, that much I can guarantee you. That's well, right. I haven't met a Cajun that doesn't. <laughs> you're already in. That's a prerequisite, man. Yeah. You got to yeah. know how to stir a roux. You got to know how to make a gumbo, and you got to know how to boil crawfish. There you yeah, go. We, we give Louisiana customers a discount because man they're always bringing food and always cooking for us <laughs> use promo code coonass in the checkout for a discount that's so that's right. funny well dude we're gonna wrap up um brenton grant i have i have enjoyed this hour and three minutes that we have spent together and uh, man let's let's uh let's make some plans to get together this year i'd love to uh i'd love to come up there and, and spend some more time with you guys that's it's the one thing that uh going all over the country filming different hunts you, you meet a lot of people some of them um and then others you just like man how much better would my life have been if i had met these cats 15 years earlier uh, you know and it's just such a blessing to to get to fellowship with guys like you get to meet guys like you and spend time with you and um let's make sure we do that this year absolutely well joey the, the feeling is mutual and, and thank you for the opportunity to come on here Oh man, it's, it's been a great time, and, and hopefully it's the, the start to many more times. So we, yeah. we we greatly appreciate it, and we'd love to get you up there and get in the duck line with you. Yeah, we need to do one. We need to do a podcast live from the lodge this year. Yes, like I'm I bringing agree. everything with me when we're on the road, <laughs> and we're just going to do some freestyle live stuff. I like it. Yeah. I like it. We're getting heck. We might even do it out of the pit line or something. Like that. Ooh. That would be- there you go. Yeah. I don't know, but we've got a date set. <laughs> if we got a good conversation, that means the hunt is slow. But hey, that's that's all right, though. That's all right. Well, look, right. you guys have a good evening. And uh, if if you if you're listening to this podcast, you haven't checked out Salt Plains Outfitters. Shame on you if you haven't done it yet. Uh, but check these guys out. And uh, thanks again, guys. We'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Grant Brenton, thank you guys very much for sharing your passion for relationships and your faith as I said I can't wait to follow your progress and watch your organization continue to grow I definitely look forward to spending time with you guys this year and for all of our podcast listeners I think uh, you should look these guys up and if you can get out there because they've got it going on Uh, thank you guys so much we'd like to also thank Edge Duck Boats to Hatsu Outboards Rike Shotguns Apex Ammunition and of course Sitka Gear for supporting Passion of Pursuit and Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. Without the help of these companies, we could not do what we do. So I humbly ask you, our listening audience, to support the companies that support us. We appreciate it. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen. It helps us continue to keep climbing up the rankings. And if you wouldn't mind, please share the show with a hunting buddy. We'd really appreciate that, too. As I said, you support showing because we were just named as one of the top 10 waterfowl podcasts on the interwebs by Feedspot. So again, thank you all so much. Keep on listening and sharing. We love you. 
That's all the time we have. Until next episode, bye-bye, y'all. Yes, I